on him. And, and, uh, and so that was the, the point of it. Um, I just wanted to mention to you, in just a minute, we'll, we'll get into sort of the word for this morning. Um, but I recognize uh, right up front, I'm going to cover a whole lot of stuff today. And um, um, so on our app, if, if you have to download the Order app, I encourage you to do that. But if you go to um, the um, uh, Sunday morning uh, link on our app, you can, you can go down to the sermon notes. And um, uh, if you wanted to take notes today, it might be best to have them up there while we do the Bible study. So, because I'm going to cover a lot of stuff um, relatively quickly. And so, if, if you would like sermon notes, they're always available to you uh, um, uh, on the app. You can just go download the app if you haven't already, go to Sunday morning, scroll down to um, sermon notes, and you can just grab your notes right there. But that might be helpful. If, if you're interested in that at all, uh, um, just uh, let us know down at the front. And, uh, Brittany, if you, the, the, for, for folks who don't run 5Ks at a time, uh, uh, um, is there like a 3K walk or something like that, or is it like a, or is it like a J? Is there like a 5J or something that, that we can do? There is a 3K walk, Hallelujah! And um, and then there's like there's like a half mile drive, right, where we can uh, um, for those who don't want to get out of your car. So lots of lots of opportunities there uh, to volunteer or to participate and help bless the ministry of Out of Ashes. It reaches out to families who have uh, experienced loss of, of infant loss uh, um, and child loss. And so that's what that's about. And you can find more information about it. But praise the Lord. Um, hallelujah. Uh, well, let's pray and, and get ready to get together with the Lord. Father, we love you and thank you so much. Um, so much for your love for us. Lord, we love you because you love us. We, we did not figure out the lost sheep. Uh, you came after us. And you revealed to us. When we least deserved it. When we were least looking for it. And uh, wow. Having been the recipients of that pursuit and that grace, we can't imagine what you did for us. So we love you for that. And we pray for those who have not yet seen you. Who have not yet opened their eyes and ears and hearts to the love you have for them. We pray that they would meet you they might know you as a captive and a king, and uh, they might love you. Uh, as we look to your word this morning, we pray you instruct us, help us, teach us, direct us, Lord, to your word. Uh, Lord, we really do want to hear from you. We call you our Lord and Savior. We thank you for that. Amen, hallelujah, and amen. Uh, 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 one other quick thing uh, uh, too, and then, then we'll get into it. Um, for anyone who's who's wondering, just want to make sure you know we have uh, these groups. And I don't think we're going to do uh, um, Bessemer County. There's there's uh, Quick Church groups as well. Everybody, everybody, and they've included churches in their mask mandate. That began to take effect this past week, and so we've told you about that. Um, if you're wondering uh, um, about you know anybody here, we are the mandate allows us to to not be masked or speaking to crowds or playing any instruments or singing to crowds or when they're interpreting for that. So there's, there's several exceptions in the mandate. And so if you're wondering about that, don't want anybody to get upset. Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to uh, take care of that. So also before we jump into the word this morning, we have been memorizing together over the course of these last several weeks as we're in this connected series, uh, Romans 12.5. And so uh, if you've been memorizing it, let's read that with me. If you haven't, you can pretend and read it off the screen. And, and, and no one will look at your eyes uh, as we do this. But, but can, can we just practice this? Uh, uh, together, just a tremendous reminder from the Word of God. Together, 
so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Romans 12.5. And as you memorize that, I encourage you to begin to meditate on it this evening. That's just powerful. That's powerful. Powerful truth from the Word of God. And, and uh, I just share that with you this morning. So with that said, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and jump in uh, to what I have for your discussion today. Uh, for several weeks now, we have been discussing together in these Sunday morning services the pressing need for Christians to learn to function together in genuine biblical Christian community. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Matt talked to us about the incredible need to be planted in the family of God, to be planted in the church, to lay down the option of just picking up and running off when things get hard, picking up and running off when, when you get angry or when you feel hurt. Last week we looked at, at the need to grow up together in Jesus and the crucial role that speaking the truth in love to one another plays in that growing up process. And I told you before, I'm going to tell you again, I believe with all my heart that I believe this is a right now word from God, a time-sensitive, mission-critical imperative from God because the church must grow up. The people of God must grow up because of the things coming in the world. And I want to remind you this morning that God's plan for the world has always included you and me living authentically Christian lives in authentically Christian community. And so there are cards in your seats again today, and those cards remind you that here at Resurrection Church, we believe individuals only reach their full potential in relationship with God and others. We commit to the hard work of communication, patience, and forgiveness. We share our lives, deal with conflict quickly, and kill gossip before it breeds. Because we believe everyone needs a Savior, we genuinely love people in spite of their flaws. Last week I spoke to you a little bit about being connected to grow. This morning I want to talk to you for a few minutes about being connected in conflict. About staying connected when it's hard to do that about doing the hard work in community of working through conflict and hurt and offense and things like that. And as I get started this morning, I'll tell you right out of the gate, it saddens me to feel compelled to tell you that in my experience, way, way, way too many Christians really genuinely think this way. There, there are way too many Christians who get offended way too easily Way too many Christians who sulk and pout way too often. Way too many Christians who resort far too frequently to taking their ball and going home. Or maybe just taking their ball and going to another church. And so to get us focused and moving this morning, would you stand with me please and honor the word of God. Well, we're going to read together, just to get us moving, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. If you're with me here in the Center for New Life, I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portion. Those of you worshiping with us virtually, just read the text as it pops up there on the screen, and we will walk through the passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, if you have your Bibles. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he for the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to warn you. 
Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. First Timothy 3.15, the Apostle Paul uh, says that he's writing the things he's writing so that you can, quote, know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, end quote. In other words, there are right ways and there are wrong ways to conduct yourself as a Christian. There are right ways and wrong ways to conduct yourself in the church and as a part of the church. And that includes right ways and wrong ways to try and handle conflict. For example, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians twelve twenty that in the church there should never be quarreling, contention, strife. There should never be slander. There should never be factions. There should never be gossip or outbursts of anger, which may lead you to assume there should never be disagreements or conflict in church. But that would be a wrong conclusion. Because the truth is, disagreements and conflict are unavoidable. Christian community is made up of people. Different people from different backgrounds with different gifts and different personalities and different perspectives. There is simply no way, with all of that God-given difference, that even a group of serious Christians will always see everything the same way. Add to that the very real problem of, of sin, the unfortunate reality that none of us gets it right all the time, and suddenly conflicts aren't problems, Conflicts are inevitable. Conflicts are givens. They're simply going to happen. Problems only pop up when people don't handle conflict well. Conflicts are unavoidable. Quarrels and strife and contention are not. You're going to have disagreements. But you should never have quarrels and discord. As the Apostle Paul instructed Timothy, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. The book of Proverbs tells us it is to a man's honor to avoid strife. But every fool is quick to quarrel. And so at Resurrection Church, in community, we commit to the hard work of communication, patience, and forgiveness. We share our lives, deal with conflict quickly, and kill gossip before it breeds. Last week I noted that for members of this church, this is a commitment. In community it says we commit. The commitment we make to one another, the commitment we make before the Lord. And so it is a commitment you're expected to keep. I also noted last week that it's hard work. We recognize right up front that community is not easy. 
been part of the hard work of community. It's the hard work of dealing with conflict with them. So I want to talk this morning a little bit about staying connected in conflict. As I mentioned already, conflict is a given. It is a normal part of life. But that doesn't mean most people view it that way. For many people, including many Christians, conflict is scary and uncomfortable. As a result, when faced with conflict, your adrenal glands kick in, flooding your bloodstream with a powerful biochemical called adrenaline. This adrenaline rush then causes your body to move into fight-or-flight mode, diverting blood from the higher-level reasoning sections of your brain to the larger muscles of your arms and legs. This blood transfer makes it harder for you to think straight, but much easier for you to run away or punch somebody. And that biochemical reality means managing conflict is not always easy. And so God in His grace and in His mercy has provided for us in His Word. In His Word, He points us to the right people, the right principles, and the right process to help us deal with conflict well. First then, God gives us people, the right people to help us deal with these things. In both the Old and the New Testament, God provides people to help you when conflict threatens to get the better of you. In the Old Testament, one of the fundamental roles of the, of the judges and the kings and the priests was to mediate, to step in to help resolve disputes between people within the community of faith. And in the New Testament, the two passages that deal most directly with conflict in the community, Matthew chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, both of them prescribe when necessary calling upon one another, calling upon the people of God to help you settle conflict biblically. In the 1 Corinthians passage we're looking at this morning, most Christians focus on its prohibition against taking other believers to court. And I think people tend to do that because at heart we tend to be legalists. But I want you to understand the primary point of this passage is not what you're not supposed to do. The primary point of the passage is what you are supposed to do. Uh, And you are supposed to, first of all, strive, work hard to have fewer disputes in the first place. And then when you have them, you're supposed to strive to resolve them together in love and forgiveness. And if that's not working, you're supposed to get folks from the church to help you. So Paul asked the rhetorical question, is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Conflict and disagreements are going to happen. When they do, and and, and when you can't seem to resolve them on your own, you need to get wise people from the community of the church to step in and help you out. So God gives you people. Number one. Number two, God gives you principles. And the the, the principles God gives for dealing with conflict well, dealing with conflict biblically, are all rooted in your calling to personal holiness and corporate unity. So the Bible says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling 
you have received. And the calling you have is a calling, first of all, to personal holiness. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And it is also a calling to corporate unity, a call to be connected. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so these principles God gives us, and I'm going to run through these quickly. They're in the notes on the app. The principles God gives us for dealing with conflict include things like this. Deal thoroughly with your own heart first. Be committed to walk in love and forgiveness. Be committed to please and glorify God in the process. Honor the relationships by pursuing healing and restoration. Treat the conflict, listen, treat the conflict like a problem to be resolved together never like an argument to be won. Deal with the conflict as directly and privately as possible, involving as few others as possible. If you genuinely need help, enlist it from qualified people in the church community. One of my favorite biblical principles is the principle to be content sometimes just to forgive and move on. As we read earlier, Paul writes, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Paul's point is simply this, that as someone loved and cared for and protected and provided by God himself, why not sometimes Rather than creating stink, just forgive whatever was done to you, release it to the Lord, and get on with your life. One final principle, biblical principle, that I want to take a minute to focus on is the principle, be gracious in your assumptions about the other party, choosing as an act of your will to view the people and the conflict itself in the kindest, most loving, most gracious way possible. Listen, contrary to what many of you think, you simply are not the helpless victim of your own emotions. Emotions do not settle on you like a fog, and they are not foisted on you by other people. Listen, other people don't make you angry. You make you angry. Other people don't make you scared or annoyed or hurt or insulted. You and only you are responsible for your own emotions. And you have the ability and the God-given duty to control them so they do not control you. Over and over again, the Bible calls you to self-control. The New Testament Greek word translated self-control is ankrateia, and it means to have mastery or dominion within yourself, to have mastery or dominion over yourself and over your own emotions. 
I got to say, in terms of growing up in Jesus, I believe there's no single area where Christians need to grow more than in the area of controlling our own emotions. Now, one of the keys to that, one of the keys to taking control of your own emotions is to take control of the stories you tell yourself and mull over throughout your life. The truth is, listen, without ever even recognizing it, when someone does something or someone says something to you, you immediately, you immediately assign it and interpret it accordingly. Often precognitive, it happens in advance. And the stories you assign in those moments are based on the sorts of stories you're mulling over all the time in your head. Let me give you a couple of examples. Say, for instance, you have a tendency to mull over and spend your time thinking things like, people don't like you. You're worried that you're not good enough. You never seem to measure up. You never, nothing ever seems to work out. You keep telling yourself, you've got to prove. You've got to prove that you're smart. You've got to prove that you're pretty. You've got to prove that you're cool. You've got to prove that you're whatever. And then one day as you're leaving church, you wave at somebody across the parking lot, and they don't smile and wave back. It's likely in that instance you go straight to your go-to story, and you start thinking something like this. They didn't smile at me. I wonder what I did wrong. I wonder why they're mad at me. I don't think I've done anything wrong. Well, that's not fair. Why would they be mad at me when I haven't done anything wrong? That's not fair at all. That's so like them. They're so petty. Everyone in this church is so petty and so stuck up. And now look at me. I'm mad and I'm hurt and I'm, I'm shaking on the inside. I'm upset and they did this to me. I am sick and tired of being treated like this. And you have a rotten life. Or another example. Maybe you spend most of your time mulling over the story of the gospel. How you're secure and fulfilled in God's love for you. You spend your time thinking about how much God loves you. And because he loves you that much, you can and should love other people. And on your way out of church one day, you wave at somebody across the parking lot and they don't smile and wave back. Very likely in that instance, you go straight to your go-to story. So you think, they didn't smile at me. Sure hope they're okay. I wonder if they need something. If I can do anything to help, Lord, please encourage so and so. Please help them. Whatever's going, they look so, whatever's going on in their life, Lord, meet them where they are. Please help them. I think I'm going to text them and invite them to dinner. In the first example, the person in the story is goes home thinking that other guy made me mad. That other guy hurt my feelings. That other guy made me feel like I'm not loved and I'm not wanted. When the hard truth of the matter is, they did all those things for themselves. By telling themselves bad stories, by failing to control their own emotions, powerful negative emotional reactions like anger and hurt and pain almost always tell you more about what's going on in you than they say about the other party. In fact, they almost always help reduce what sorts of go-to stories you're mulling over most of the time. One of the principles for dealing with cognitive 
God gives you people, God gives you principles, and God gives you a process. And this process is very simple. It has at most two steps. Step number one, make sure your own heart is right. And then if need be, go to the other party involved to work through the conflict for the glory of God and the benefit of everyone. This one or two step process. And I call it a one or two step process because when you handle step one properly, you will often find you don't need step two. This one or two step process is the, uh, listen to me, is the only biblically sanctioned process for dealing with conflict and friction. Jesus presented step one in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Remember, part of what he said was this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The first step in the process to really, truly check yourself is directly related to the first principle I talked about this morning. And as I mentioned, often in the process of step one, you will find step two is no longer necessary. Because as you examine your own heart and your own motives, you will sometimes find, not always, but but you will sometimes find that the real source of the conflict is not so much the actions of the other party as it is your particular response to it. You may have blown things out of proportion. You may have misinterpreted the discussion. You may have been too quick to judge or too willing to assume the worst of someone checking your own heart and making sure you're really walking in love and making sure you're really walking in forgiveness, you may find on occasion that it is best and most biblical simply to overlook the offense altogether, to forgive it and honestly move on. As Proverbs 19.11 says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. So the first step in the process is to make sure your own heart is right. And the second step, if needed, is to go to the other party in love in an effort to see healing and restoration as well. Jesus laid out this process for you in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Matthew 18, 15 to 20. As I close, because I'm out of time, let me just give you two quick side notes about this process. First, At no point in this process are you to go and tell other people how bad or mean or unkind the other party was. That's not part of the process. And second, and second, please, 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 when you read Matthew 18, 15 to 20, read Matthew 18 as it was meant to be read, as a loving call to restoration, not Matthew chapter 18 is all about setting connectors in conflict. It's about loving people enough to speak the truth to them in love so that together you can come to know healing and forgiveness and restoration. Matthew 18 is not about 
following a handful of weeks, things would feel justified and satisfying. Here's a very well-known parable, ripping the stuff to pieces. Because people are applying Matthew 18 to Mark 11. They are using pieces like that as Paul's metaphor. Conflict and disagreement are unavoidable. Quarreling, strife, and division are not. So when you find yourself in conflict, remember, God is a healer. God is a redeemer. And in the economy of God, mercy triumphs over judgment. Keep these things in mind, and you'll be able to keep yourself connected even in the midst of conflict. Let's pray. Father, once again, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word, even, even when it puffs us. We thank you for your word that shows us how to deal with hard things well. How to stay together when everything inside us and everything around us is telling us to rip apart. How to stay connected when everything inside us and everything around us is telling us to separate and go our own way. Lord, you've called us to personal holiness and corporate unity. You've called us to grow up in Jesus, to love you above all else, and to love others as ourselves, and to put the needs of others ahead of our own needs whenever that's possible. Father, forgive us for the times we've handled conflict poorly. When we've allowed that adrenaline rush to cause us to punch and strike out. Or simply to withdraw and run away. To refuse to engage in healthy, biblical conflict resolution. Lord, you're calling us to grow up and become the people you've called us and created us to be. To become the community you've called us and created us to be. You want us to stay connected even when it's hard. Help us as the Lord is our guide. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.